Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. For most of us, there's someplace out there in our past that we can reflect back to and folks will say, do you remember when this happened in your life? Do you remember where you were when you heard the news? And I It seems as though that our minds, at least in those moments, are anchored back at that that second, that second that we found out something that was revealed to us, perhaps under the worst circumstances. In my experience as a medical legal death investigator, I saw a lot of these anchor points along the way. And most of them had to do with that moment in time when somebody is just living their life, going about their lives day after day, some mundane, but then I would show up at the door and I would let them know 
that quite possibly the worst thing that has ever happened to them in their life has occurred. Today we're going to talk about notification of next of kin. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan and this is Body Bags. I still remember the first one as if it were the last one. Throughout my career it never got easier no matter how many times you did it. It was still bad. Jackie Howard, my my good friend from Nancy Grace, executive producer. We've talked about this before off air, and you had actually asked me and had mentioned that this is something that folks might want to hear about. And it's a job within the world of death investigators that many people outside don't really know that we do, but it is... It is what we do. It's a major part of what we do. Like I said, it it never got easier over the course of my entire career. It's never easy to deliver bad news, even when there is not a suspicious death associated with it. I know in my own family, having to tell my mother, for example, that her sister died. It's not easy. And the, the range of emotions, you know, the four stages of grief that you go through. Part of that is the anger that you were talking about. But how do you, and you've been doing this for a very long time, as you pointed out, how do you get through this telling people that someone that they love has been harmed by someone else and that they are no longer alive? I mean, the first one you did, you were the youngest death scene investigator in the country at one point, Joe. So how old were you when you made your first notification 21 i was 21 years old and so ill prepared and i remember it i I still remember it to this day i can even remember what the house looked like it was in a suburban area in new orleans and it was a very nice house single story had a big pitched roof on it it was all brick had a big veranda that went all the way around it it was about two o'clock in the morning and out of all the notifications that 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 I had done, it's so interesting that the very first one had to do with a person that was not too much younger than me, an 18-year-old girl. And I I still remember sitting in the car outside, and there was a long brick walkway going up to the stoop, and sitting there thinking, what in the world am I going to tell her family? It's almost like you don't forget these things. I can still hear my footfalls on the brick walkway as I walked up and walking up the three steps to the porch. And they had like these kind of faux flickering exterior lights adjacent to the door. It looked like old gas lamps. I remember knocking on the door and my hand shaking. Like I said, it was like two, three o'clock in the morning and a man much the same age as I am now came to the door and I, I did. I badged him is what you say. And I showed him my credentials and everything. And I said, I need to speak to you. And you can just see even in that sleepy state because the guy had been roused out of bed and he turned on his heel and they had a staircase, a center staircase. And he called out to his wife and she came down the staircase. And right there 
right there at the foot of that staircase in their receiving area. I told him. I told him that his daughter had died in a motor vehicle accident. And and that that was the first time that I'd done that. By the time that I had, you know, kind of become an investigator, I'd spent a lot of time in the morgue just doing autopsies and assisting with autopsies and learning about the collection of evidence and all these sorts of things as a very, very young man. And I was technically proficient. But what about the emotional side? Is there some kind of training on how to talk to somebody, to inform them that somebody has died? Nowadays, there is. Back then, there wasn't. And still, I'm of the opinion, at least, and everybody has an opinion, but I'm of the opinion that it you never capture the full depth and breadth of it uh, within the medical legal world because you enter into this environment unequipped. And the people that might do the training have not actually performed the task doing a notification of next of kin, particularly at the volume that you do it. If you work for a coroner or a medical examiner, because many times it's day after day that that first weekend that I worked, I handled, I still remember the number is like 34 or 36 deaths total in that weekend alone. That was just over a 48-hour period. I worked by myself. Now, all those weren't traumatic. Some of those were natural deaths, but yet every single one of those was a case that I had to work, generate a report on. And that was my first entree into the field where I was out there doing these cases. And over the course of that weekend, out of those 34, 36 deaths, I had to make four notifications, the first of which is this 18-year-old girl. All the technical stuff, the science stuff, is kind of easy if you begin to look at it logically. But, you know, the thing about notification of next of kin is there is no rhyme or reason. There is no explanation that you can offer up. Anything that you are, that you might offer up to a family falls flat. It's not sufficient to the task. And then once you've done one, you don't know when the next one is coming. But over the course of that weekend, I did four. And so... I would sit in fear after the first one because you're snake bit at that point in time. But you know that there's no one else to do it. You have to go and do it. There's something that is kind of compelling you along to do your job. And there's no way to take care of yourself mentally in, in the midst of all of this. Who decides who will notify a family? Well, depending upon the jurisdiction you're in, most of the time that default position is going to be the medical legal authority because you have possession of the body. You're going to be able to answer questions that an investigator might not be able to answer that's coming at it from a law enforcement perspective and certainly not a patrol officer. You know, you see things in media and TV and movies and all that where you have some somber young police officer that shows up at a door and makes a notification. That's generally not the way it happens. As a medical legal death investigator, you have firsthand knowledge of the dynamics, the status of the body. It's kind of a real deep dive into human psychology. I think the main question that families ask you when you notify them of the death is not what happened, why did it happen? They always they always drop back to where. Where are they? Think about that. You're a parent. The one thing you want to know is, where's your child? Where's my husband? Where's my wife? Where's my loved one? Where's my friend? There's a term that we talk about when you go out on a scene, you'll see families, and you see this on the news periodically. There'll be large groups of people kind of standing around a crime scene, and you'll see 
police officers many times fighting to hold people back away from the scene, those that are intimates, parents and that sort of thing. And there's kind of this manifestation that you see out there and it's a, there's a tactile element to it. It's like us as humans, we, we want to touch the body. We want to touch the body to confirm for ourselves our person within us, that center, that core person within us. We have to confirm that that person is, in fact, dead. You see this played out even in nature. How many times have we seen a mother of, of an animal that has died and the, the mother is nuzzling uh, deceased? I think a lot of that is very primal. You have to confirm for yourself. And it's, it's so hard to watch because when you look at death investigation, as cold-hearted as it sounds, but it's the reality, particularly if you're talking about like a homicide, the body has become the centerpiece of the case. The body is the biggest piece of evidence that you possess at that moment in time to this event that has occurred, this horrific event, if we're just simply talking about homicides. And so you're denying these loved ones the opportunity to touch the body because you're going to compromise the case, right? But it's, it's this kind of it's a real slap in the face because there's something within us. There's something at a primal level. I know I keep saying that, but there's something at a primal level where we have to confirm. And I've had family members hit me. I've had them kick me. Just on and on. I mean, just the litany, the stories I could tell about the reactions of families when you deny them access to a body. Six months later, when the case is going to trial, for instance, if it is a homicide, the one thing that you want to be able to stand forth on the one point is to say that the chain of custody relative to how the body was impacted and the evidence that was collected was not compromised in any way. And once you show up at that scene as the official investigator of death, your job is security of that body and everything else, unfortunately, becomes peripheral. But it's very tragic to witness that. And even when you go out to homes as well. You know, the body has been removed to the morgue. The family still want to know where, where, where. All those other questions come up later. You know, the why, all of that, that's kind of a deeper thing. But it's just that familial sense that you have, that love that just kind of carries over, that concern. You have to confirm it, and they want to know where their loved one is. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and a big shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing free samples. I live in an area where allergies are a day-to-day -day issue, and finding an over-the-counter option for relief is like the holy grail. I use Astapro, and I strongly recommend you give it a try. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray, and it's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays can take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use as directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Years ago, when I got out of my field full-time, I was diagnosed with PTSD. I had sleep disorder. I had depression. And for me, I had to turn to someone to talk to, somebody that could aid me along the path to healing, to restore me to that person that maybe I was at one point in time, to make me better for not just myself, but my family. If you're thinking about therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You can do this anytime that you like. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com bags today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com slash bags. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. For death investigator, I think one of the watchwords that you have is timeliness. The fact that you can be timely, I think, as an investigator shows compassion. The sooner you can do it, and it's something that no one wants to do. You sit around and you would like to draw straws, but you know that it's going to fall to you to get it done and get it done quickly. And there's all kinds of problems that can arise when you become distracted by other things. Timeliness is, in fact, the watchword. Timeliness is a very important part, Joe, and I want to understand when you are in the midst of an investigation, it really doesn't make a difference whether it is an accident or a homicide, but you have to do your due diligence and finish the investigation. How does that imperative, finishing the investigation so that nothing is compromised, compare to the timeliness of letting people know that something happened? I mean... Is, is there a guideline of some kind? Okay, I've got to stop here. I've got to go do this and then come back. I mean, that's probably not even a possibility. No, it's not. As a matter of fact, you can really train wreck a case by doing that. You can't stop midway through it in order to facilitate 
other matters. And I think that that's a lot of that comes down to the fact that you need to have a trusted group of people that are around you. I've been fortunate over the years that I would have uh, colleagues that are fellow medical legal death investigators that I would say this notification has got to be done. And when you're standing out in the middle of a major interstate, guess what? That's news. That is news. Flames, broken cars, broken bodies, flashing lights, that makes people watch the news. And the news will many times, and this has happened to me several times throughout my career, has beat me to the notification. I mean, just imagine, if you will, you're sitting there and you're watching the late night news and you don't know where your child is, for instance, but all of a sudden you're watching the news and you see a flash across the screen. I mean, it's already caught your attention. There's some reporter standing there with a microphone in their hand and there's broken vehicles everywhere. And you happen to catch sight of perhaps a car that looks very similar to the one that you bought your son when he was 17 years old. And all of a sudden you go into a panic. You can't get him on the phone. You don't know where he was last seen. And then it suddenly occurs to you that that might be your child. And unfortunately, many times that has happened. It's also happened with homicides where family members will see the reporters at a scene on television. They're standing outside a location that they know that their loved one or their child frequents and they can't get in contact with them. Or somebody lets it slip in the background. I've actually had reporters say a name live on air. You know, now they they will say things like, oh, we're not going to release a name pending notification to next kin. That has not always been the case. And still to this day, it does happen because you'll get cross wires in communication. People will say, yeah, we've already taken care of the notification when that hasn't occurred at all. You have to make sure because that's something you have to guard. You have a responsibility to these loved ones. You have to shield them as much. I mean, let's face it, they're about to get their lives shredded anyway. Why do you want to add to that? So timeliness, I think is the watchword in any of these cases where you have to be really, really aware of everything. And you, you become hyper vigilant as a death investigator because there's so much going on. We talked about the notification of next to Ken, but then you begin to think about all of the detailed forensic information and scene information you're trying to collect at that one time, and you get that one moment to do it. It's not like you can put it on pause because life is going to go on. You have to continue to work through this as best as you can, and hopefully you'll have friends that you can delegate this to to go out and make the notification in a timely manner. Well, I was... you read my mind again, Joe. I was just going to ask, when there's an investigation like that, is this a point where your obligation to the crime scene supersedes your obligation to the family and someone else would be sent to make that notification? You can't neglect what is there at your feet, whether it's shell casings or the broken body of someone that has met with some horrible end. You cannot neglect that at that moment in time. First off, you have the potential to wreck the entire case. And secondly, it's disrespectful to leave the body out there any longer. I mean, just imagine there are a lot of people that have problems with this. They never covered the body up, they'll say, or they left the body exposed or that sort of thing. But we're working the case and you have to work the case as as quickly as you can, but safely. And when I say safety, that goes to 
collection of evidence. You want to be as thorough as you possibly can. So you can't freeze that moment in time. You certainly don't get a do-over. I know that's kind of a rote statement, but you don't get a do-over at that moment in time. So it's a it's a real balancing act that you have to dig into and, and be aware of. And then if you do get clear from the scene, you need to make sure that your first stop is not going to be down to local coffee shops, sit around and talk about the case with your colleagues, or you're going to go back to the office, or you're going to go home and let everything else take care of. No. The next thing you do is you get in your car as quickly as you possibly can, armed with the address, and you go there with as much rapidity as you possibly can to get there and show up and make that notification. Would you still do that even if you had sent someone to notify the family while you finished your on-scene investigation? Not necessarily go back out because anybody that I would work with that I would trust in this situation would have my same attention level of attention to detail because you have to keep in mind, not only are you notifying the family in a case like this, but when you're talking about death investigation, the family is going to hold information that might be key to solving this case because there, in most cases, the family is going to have intimate knowledge of the comings and goings of the deceased. They're going to know where they were supposed to be many times, not every single time. Some people live in great isolation relative to their families, but most of the time, they're, at least the family's going to have some sense of what was going on. When you're able to get out there and you say you send somebody, they're going to have a list of questions they're going to have to follow up with. And it's not just going to necessarily be the standard questions about we're going to be doing an examination in the morning, body will be ready for release. Do you have any questions about that? There's going to be other questions as well. When was the last time you saw your son? Do you know who he was going to be hanging out with this evening? Is there anybody out there that might have more information about him? You don't want to dig too deep with them initially, but you have to at least glean some information. And this is what is kind of hard about this whole process. Some studies have indicated that when, when you notify a family, from the moment that you show up at their door, they might remember about 10% of what you say to them after you have told them that their loved one is deceased. Can you imagine that? Because their world has just been shattered. I mean, just ripped to shreds. And so anything that you say after that is just static. Now, it's kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, it's just blah, 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 blah. And uh, that's I think wah, that people wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. And and many, you'd be, I think people would be very surprised. And maybe you wouldn't, because I think that many people out there can identify. They remember what it was like when they found out someone they loved died. How many times family members will call you the next day and say, I have your card here and I don't remember a word that you said to me? Can you please fill in the blanks? Can you please tell me? And that's when you'll get like, what happened at that point in time? You know, initially it was where? Where's my daughter? Where's my son? Once they get past that benchmark in time, then their brain begins to settle a little bit. They're they're still raw, but it's not like when you first, you know, show up at the door, it's like you've punched them in the stomach. In absorbing what you're telling me, Joe, if I tried to boil it down into one word, it would not be clinical, it would not be compassion. It seems to me like it is nothing but 
craziness because there is there really is no timeline. The term that always comes to mind, I'm a veteran, so I'll go back and think about things many times in the sense of the way the Army, you know, you might think about the Army and that sort of thing. And I've always equated it metaphorically, understand metaphorically, that it's almost akin to showing up at a family's home and pulling the pin on a metaphoric grenade and throwing it into the room and shutting the door. You're creating such trauma in an otherwise perhaps normal life. They're normal. Maybe it's very placid. Maybe they're sitting around drinking coffee. Maybe they're sitting around having a meal. And then suddenly you show up at the door. From that moment in time, Jackie, from that moment in time when you make that notification, just keep this in mind. Your image will be forever burned into the psyche of the person you're talking to. They might not remember your name, but they're going to remember your face. Many years ago, early on in my career, I actually had a a kid that was riding a motorcycle. I said kid, you know, 19 years old, and he was riding his motorcycle. He had a dirt bike on what we call in New Orleans, they call it the neutral ground, which is kind of the median. It's a big grassy area adjacent to a canal, actually. And it kind of splits four lanes of traffic. You've got two on one side that's westbound and two on the other side that are eastbound. And there were these guide wires that came down from an electrical line. And there were a bunch of kids standing out there watching this this older teen ride up and down the neutral ground, the median, like his hair was on fire, just driving as fast as he could. And he hit one of the guide wires and it, it took his head off in front of this collected group of kids that were watching this whole thing unfold. And he didn't live too far from there. And one of the things that you do is you go and you examine the body after you've done your photographs and all these sorts of things. And then you'll go into, like, for instance, into his back pocket. And I pulled out his wallet and found his, his driver's license. And I grabbed a deputy, a deputy sheriff that was there. I rolled over to the house. And it was a very typical-looking house. Came up to the side door on the house, which enters into the kitchen, and knocked on the door. And a woman came to the door. And it was, I guess, late in the afternoon. And again, I badged her, identified myself and who I was with, said, we need to talk to you. And immediately, you know, families get this this sense about them. They know something's up. When a person with a badge shows up at their door, they begin to kind of retreat and contract. They'll say, what, what's this about? Why are you here? Because you're thinking the worst. And in this case, it certainly wasn't. And there's certain things that you don't forget. And in this particular case, I'll never forget this as long as I live my dying day when I finally close my eyes. And I'm not one of these people that drag it out. And that's not healthy either. Where you say there was an awful accident. You go right to the point. You say, ma'am, are you Mrs. Jones? Yes. Are you the mother of Sam Jones? Yes. Ma'am, your son just died in a motor vehicle accident. And that way, because there's nothing you can do to buffer what is coming, it's going to happen either way. And I remember informing her that her son had died. Now, you don't go into the details like I just related here all these years later about decapitation and all that stuff, but you you give them enough to digest. I gave this family the standard rundown, told them what was going on, what would happen. I spent time with them, talked to them, and they were shaken to the core. Well, I had... Worked the case, and I guess it was probably six months later, almost six months later to the day, I got a call from the sheriff's office that there was a fellow that had barricaded himself in the second floor of a local motel, and he had taken his own life. 
And as it turned out, this guy had been a reserve deputy sheriff in another another jurisdiction. And he had a real bad problem with steroids. And we think that he probably had some kind of steroid-induced psychosis, just raving, carrying on, shouting at people. And he wound up taking his weapon and taking his own life. I'm working the scene, taking my photographs, doing everything I have to do, and I begin to dig through his stuff. And I find his, he actually had a, a sheriff's office ID case with him that had a badge inside of it. And behind his actual picture ID was his state driver's license. And I pulled it out and I looked at it and I thought, God, that's that's very, why do I know that address? And, you know, at this time, this is way pre-Katrina. So New Orleans had a population back then in excess of the metro area, certainly in excess of a million people. And again, I grab a deputy. I said, this is the address we're going to. And sure enough, out of all of the people in the world and out of me as the investigator, we pull up in the driveway. It's the same house. And this is six months later. And to give you a sense of the impact that you make on a family, remember, they might not know my name. And this is later at night. I went to the very same door, pounded on the door. And it was one of these doors where you have an external door that's like a, a glass kind of screened in door that slides up and down and an interior door. They open the interior door. You know, the light had come on outside. It illuminated my face. I'm standing there with my badge in my hand. And it was the mother again. And it was like she saw the angel of death. And for that moment in time, she screamed. And it seemed like that scream lasted forever. And she started screaming, go away, go away, go away, leave. But you know, you, you can't leave. It's your job. It's what you do. And finally, her husband came down. And when he saw me, two words came out of his mouth and it was, oh, no. He rushed forward, opened the door and screamed at me. I said, what in the hell are you doing here? I said, sir, I got to talk to you. And uh, I went in there and I told them that their second son had died. And this is within six months. And they, to this day, those people might not know my name, but they, they remember my face. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. 
Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. At my heart, I'm a science guy. I don't really call myself a scientist, but uh, I guess you'd call me a forensic scientist. But I'm a science guy. I love science. And one of the reasons that I love science is the fact that there are some absolutes. We know certain things to be true. In mathematics, there are certain truths that you can't get past. And that's the beauty of science, that it it simplifies things. It really synthesizes things down to its base elements. You know, you can kind of understand it. Some people try to complicate it, but it's really not that complicated. When it comes to death, though, I think, and your interaction with people that have lost loved ones, science kind of goes out the window at that time. you you got psychologists that will try to frame it for you and try to talk about stages of grief and, and all those sorts of things. But at the end of the day, it's something that is unique to the individual. And there is no formula necessarily to accomplish a task that's going to make it any easier. So how did you do it, Joe? I mean, you told us in the beginning about the lack of training for this part of the job. So as the years progressed, did you figure out or lay out a formula for yourself to make it easier either on you or for the family? Is there a way to do that? I think that probably it all came down to, uh, again, I go back to my one of my watchwords, which is timeliness, not dragging it out, and being prepared as best you can with baseline information for the families. The thing about it is, is that when you introduce a stimulus like this into, into a person's life, it's unpredictable. It's like trying to predict where a tornado is going to go. Some people can say that they can, that they can track it pretty well. But let's face it, tornado is going to do what a tornado is going to do by its nature. And when you introduce this element of loss into a family's 
world. You have no idea what that relationship was like prior to you walking in. Matter of fact, it's insulting for you to even presume that you know what it was like. You you weren't there for Christmases and Thanksgivings and birthdays and deaths and all those other things. It's a unique formula that is unique to that familial group. So when you walk in, you're that one unknown. So the one thing that I could do was be prepared with baseline information. And that would come down to, have I gotten them identified first off? Because there are any number of cases out there, can you imagine this, that people have misidentified deceased individuals and have gone to the wrong family? That's horrible. I mean, it's absolutely horrible. And there's several cases that are out there like that. It's You rip somebody's world to shreds and it's not even their loved one. So you have to make sure that you know who you're talking about. How did you confirm that ID? You have to know where the body is. And I know that sounds real, <laughs> real simplistic, but is it at the county morgue? Is it at the city morgue? Is it at the hospital? Is the body still at the scene? You have to know that because that is going to be a big question. Remember early on, I said the family always wants to know where first, where, where's my baby? Where's my baby? Where's my loved one? And you're not necessarily at that particular time going to know what, and it's that what is a very dangerous question early on in an investigation, what happened? And to speculate, you do that at your own peril because these stories shift depending upon how much investigative information is coming on. What you do know is that the individual is deceased. And let's just say, you know, we'll keep it simple and say it was a motor vehicle accident. They died in a motor vehicle accident. Well, that's pretty much all of the information a family can digest at that moment in time. You're not going to go into the mechanics of some kind of collision event. You're not going to talk about blunt force trauma. You're not going to do all of those sorts of things. They might also ask a question, who were they with? Well, you don't necessarily have that information at that moment in time. So you try to keep it as simplistic as possible because you have readjusted their life to the point where they say that there's two points in an individual's life that where they are at their lowest ebb and flow emotionally. One of those is when an individual goes through a divorce, and secondly is when they experience a death. And so many times people are, they're almost infantile. They're like babies because there's a shock that comes on. They just deal with those baseline things, getting those needs met initially. And sometimes as an investigator, you can't anticipate what those needs are going to be, but you have to be prepared, I think, to that. And then for me personally, the one thing that I always wanted to impart again is compassion and people throw that term around a lot a lot nowadays and i don't know that many people understand what compassion is and the old saying there but for the grace of god go i there is a possibility that in your own personal life that you can either experience this or somebody in your peripheral family can experience it that compassion and mercy and you only get certain moments in time in life where you can display those things. I'm, I'm, I count myself kind of fortunate in a, in, a weird, in a weird kind of way because I've had more than my fair share of opportunities to extend mercy and compassion to people at their lowest ebb and flow. And many times it felt like a burden 
I mean, it truly did. It was a, it was the most distasteful part of my job. And people always ask that, you know, what's the worst thing that you had to deal with? And the default position for most people, you know, when they think about what you do as a death investigator, they think, well, it's going to be severely decomposed body or a really, really bloody scene and highly complex. And maybe you go into a dangerous place. And I've been in a lot of dangerous places. I've had roofs collapse on me as a result of fires and I've been hit hit by things. I've had bullets pass over my head. All of those sorts of things pale. I mean, absolutely pale in comparison to the act of notification of next of kin. It becomes very personal, doesn't it, Joe? It, it, it does. After a period of time, your humanity takes over and you begin to see your own person reflected in the lives of these people. I documented my journey pretty thoroughly in my memoir, Blood Beneath My Feet. I talked about how death had impacted me, my view of the world through kind of the eyes of the dead, if you will. Took a little bit of license with that, but I'm the one telling the stories. And the very end of my career, when death had really gotten the best of me as a, as a death investigator, I, I wound up having to hang it up as a result of a PTSD diagnosis. I couldn't do it any longer. I'd just done it for so long. It's all I'd ever done. You mentioned I was the youngest. I was, and that's all I'd ever known. And always asked for compassion. I'd always asked for compassion for my family and my wife and I. I was at the end of my rope as a death investigator. I couldn't work any longer. I was still technically employed, but I was a quivering mass. I couldn't deal with the things I'd, I'd been dealing with for all those years, and we were pregnant. My wife gave birth to our son, and I was undergoing therapy and all those sorts of things at that particular time. We were older parents, and there was a high probability that Isaac, our son, would not survive. When my beautiful wife delivered Isaac, I was the first one to hold him, cut the cord, and we wept and laughed and all those sorts of things. And the staff, medical staff, told us that he wouldn't be with us very long. And he lasted for a few hours. And I sat there and held him. And uh, he nuzzled me. My wife was sleeping. And Isaac died. He died. And I found myself in a very curious position at that moment in time. For all those years that I'd been praying that someone would extend mercy to my family, I found at that moment in time, I had to extend some mercy to myself. And I tried my best to do that. To be kind to myself, to be kind to my wife, to be kind to my family, because life, as I'm prone to say, and this is actually a scripture, I can't remember which one, but it says life is but a vapor. And it's gone. It's gone. And you never know when it's going to be gone. So for me, I guess mercy and compassion at the end of the day are the watchwords here. It's the only thing truly that we have in this life to fall back on even in the face of death. The New King James Version of the Bible, James 4.14, in part says, for you are a mist that appears for a very little time and then vanishes. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Truth. 
I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God. We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.